T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Good morning and welcome to the morning briefing for Monday. Wait, no, Tuesday, because it's a holiday weekend, May 29th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer, and coming up on today's show, we're going to speak to Justin Brown, founder and CEO of Hill Vets, as well as Tom Porter from IAVA. We're going to talk to them about Memorial Day weekend and about what's going on on Capitol Hill now that Congress, I believe, has headed home. Well, there's going to be a lot still going on in the veteran world. There's a lot of legislation that's building that may be coming down the pipe. Of course, the VA Mission Act simply waiting for the president's signature, the last that I heard. Jake, has the VA Mission Act been signed? I hadn't heard anything about it. I think it's still waiting to hit to the president's desk. I think it's, yeah, I think it's waiting for his signature. Let's go ahead and click on that. And of course, as we do, we'll mention uh, that we're welcoming super producer Jake Hughes into the studio. Kind of reversed the order there for a minute. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is a, uh, you know, it's, it's it's one of those things that uh, it happens. It's early in the morning and you're talking sometimes. And Technically, after, today is a Monday. Yeah, it certainly feels like it, you know. So we've got, uh, you know, we've got a lot of uh, a lot of big things to talk about today. Um, the VA Mission Act, it says, yeah, on May 23rd, the Senate put it forth. The final legislative package passed the Senate overwhelming 92 to 5 bipartisan vote. Uh, and, of course, that Mission Act will be signed by the president coming up in the very near future. I, who knows? Maybe uh, as soon as today. We just don't know, but it'll be signed at some point soon. Of course, following the Memorial Day weekend, and it was a busy Memorial Day weekend for you and I, Jake. We were out at Rolling Thunder on Sunday, which, oh my goodness, that was uh, that was one heck of a day. Yeah, it, it was, was quite an experience. It was also a day that... Uh, when I was starting to plan for it, a few days out, went out and bought some new rain gear for my motorcycle because <laughs> there were thunderstorms. I mean, that was the forecast. It was going to be thundering and raining and lightning all day long. We were going to have those things. Just the heavens would open up on us. What ended up happening was it was about 90 degrees and sunny for most of the day. So I think a lot of people who were prepared for the rain ended up instead uh, begging for sunscreen. I know I was one of them. I put some sunscreen on that morning just in case because I got a pretty bad sunburn the day before. They opened up the pool at the complex that I live in, so my family was out there. And I don't know if I had bad sunblock or what, but my whole front body looks like it's just bright pink. Yeah, it's it's funny. He mentioned that to me. I didn't really notice until he at one point, some point during the day he went up and stretched real hard, and his shirt lifted up a little bit, and it was like lobster red. Yeah, and I'm like, oh There's my gosh, line. dude. There's a line. Well, I burn very badly if I don't cover it up. And 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 everyone, anytime I get a sunburn, my wife is like, oh. Why didn't you put sunblock on? My mother, who was down, oh, why didn't you put sunblock? They knew I did. They put it on. I've told them that happens sometimes. Even when I put sunblock on, sometimes it just doesn't do it. So how would you describe overall the experience of being a, a part of Rolling Thunder and being down there for the event? 
a bit overwhelming because we get down there. First of all, it was a very early morning. We had to be at the staging area to go to the Pentagon parking lot at about 5.45 in the morning. So we get there. We ride in. Me and Eric ride in with a group of about 30 guys, maybe 20. And around. gals. Yeah, and gals, right. I apologize. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be all-inclusive. Including Rhonda, rolling with Rhonda, who's riding across the country and has already done like 15,000 miles or something crazy Yeah, like and that. we don't have 15,000 miles between us. No. <laughs> so, but we get down there and... It's as you're coming up to the Pentagon, you notice how big this is going to be because there are literally lines of bikes across all the major streets. And when you get in there, and we got there early, so it didn't look like it at first, but then the bikes just kept pouring in. Yeah, we were, uh, I would say we were among the first half maybe of, of riders that arrived for Rolling Thunder. Uh, so it, it wasn't packed, but then as we kept walking around and you may have seen we did some facebook live videos uh, on the connecting vets facebook page which you should definitely like and go check out and you can go see those videos including the last one and we'll talk about that <laughs> coming up in a minute but you know as we walked around it was just a sea of bikes and that was only part of it because there were two parking lots that were filled up with bikes we were in i think the north parking lot the south parking lot of the pentagon was also filled up with bikes just an amazing number of people, uh, individuals that came in, as well as, of course, groups, organizations. You had motorcycle clubs coming in from all around the country. I saw one uh, that was right behind us from up in New York. Uh, they were out uh, kind of central New York, south of Buffalo uh, on the, uh, I guess, south central New York, I guess you would say. As they said, they were right on the Pennsylvania border. Um, they were. They all rode down from New York. We had... Somebody was in the group that we rolled over with from the hotel, from our staging area. He is a Air Force veteran who is a state trooper out in Colorado. He and his daughter rode all the way out from Colorado. She now has done a longer motorcycle trip than either you or I <laughs> or most people because that is a long trip, man. Colorado, look at a map of the United States and look at a, a, a geographically accurate one that takes the mileage into account. That is a long way they got here in three days. He told me it was three days of hard riding. And on their way back, they were going to take about six or seven days and do some sightseeing, turn it into a vacation. Now, his daughter that rolled out with him, I don't, I don't know if I said this a moment ago. She's about, what, 10, 11 yeah, years old? Something, like, something that. like that. So, again, already has more riding under her belt in a single go than the vast majority. That's of, proper parenting. Get them started young. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and his buddy, uh, who I believe they had served together, maybe, um, his buddy rolled up with his son from, I think they, they only came from North Carolina, so they only came from like 500 miles away or something right. like that. Still, I mean, I think the longest motorcycle trip I've ever been on was from uh, Saybrook, Connecticut, or Westbrook, Connecticut, to be more precise, uh, all the way down to Maryland, where I live now. And that was, I don't know, 300 miles or something like that, 350 miles. These people are coming in from all <laughs> over the places. We went around and shot videos. One uh, couple that we spoke to, and the wife was delightful. The husband uh, kind of went off the rails a little bit there. When I asked him a question, he started going off on, oh, you must be the media. Yeah, and <laughs> we're also veterans, and we're here taking part in this event as well as covering it. But they were up from Kentucky. No, they were up from someplace else. They were up from, like, South Carolina, Georgia, someplace like that. The Kentucky people were in the uh, Roadster trike. There was this trike out there that looked like Looked like a Model T, a Roadster, and uh, I don't know what else. Somebody pointed out the car from the Munsters. We have video of that on the website. You can go back and look at our uh, our Facebook Live videos that went out there. Really just a fascinating time. And uh, 
hearing why people were out there, why they wanted to be a part of this event was, it was just great. Everybody's out there for maybe not the same reason, but similar reasons. And that's to, uh, it's a protest. It's a protest to bring attention to the fact that there are 80,000 plus Americans still unaccounted for from conflicts dating back to world war one all over the globe. So we have, um, you know, we had, I don't know how many were out there, Jake, but a lot. Yeah, I mean, I'll look up the sea of final people. numbers. I don't know how accurate their number will be because we were talking about this with some of the people that were out there. Do they have one guy who was just sitting at the entrance of the parking lot with a clicker like they have at Costco? <laughs> and do they have a clicker that goes up to like over 100,000? Because there were you know, probably somewhere at least in the vicinity of half a million there, I would say. At least in the vicinity of half a million um, so, yeah, really a fascinating thing to take part in. Uh, I think Jake's going to be doing some writing up on the uh, yep. the Rolling Thunder thing, and you'll be able to see that on ConnectingVets.com, as well as some awesome photos. You know, we took some great photos out there. I went around and took photos of some of the bikes that I liked the most. You know, there's one with a painted like a shark I knew my son would like, and some really beautiful artwork out there, and uh, a beautiful sense of community and teamwork and camaraderie out there as well. And that was... Uh, that was great to see. Again, as as we saw in that one video where the guy starts yelling about the media and everything, yeah. you're going to have, you know, a few here and there. He had also been sitting out in the sun for like four hours at that yeah. point. So maybe that had something to do with it. One thing I will say, Jake, we, we of course, I had to roll down from, uh, from my home in Maryland down to the Pentagon very early on a Sunday morning. I, of course, was happy to do so to take part in this amazing event. I don't know, man. I saw people still rolling into the parking lot at like noon, right as we were getting ready to kick off. Yeah. I think we may have been there a little earlier than we absolutely needed to be, but, you know, it's better to be there early. And we were towards the front of the protest, which led to some issues. Now, one, our plan was for Jake to live stream the ride, and I think the vibration of his bike had something to do with this. But yes, I'm pretty sure it did, because if you watch the video, like halfway through, it activated the black and white filter mm. on the video. Yeah. So it must have done that. And then, because I swear to you, Eric, right before we started rolling, I looked at it and it said live, but it's, uh, oh, it must it have been live, this, yeah. yeah. It, it was live, but then it wasn't. Uh, yeah. So it got about 10 minutes of us sitting in the parking lot in line, getting ready to roll out on the Rolling Thunder run through the center of D.C., which is so unfortunate and upsetting because it was really amazing to be to ride through D.C. All the people lined up along the route. Uh, there was even a point where I got to go nice over and close to the side and high five some kids that were out there. Yeah, I did the same thing. Doing the uh, doing the whole rollout there uh, and, and knowing what the mission of Rolling Thunder is and being able to take part and, again, bringing awareness to those over 80,000 Americans still unaccounted for, it was great. What was not great was as we got towards the end where they'd go to do a ceremony at the Vietnam Memorial, there was a split in the road where there was nothing blocking off uh, either way and there was no one there directing traffic and I was to the right side of the lane and the people in front of me all went off to the right. So I went, all right, I guess I'm going off to the right. Moments later, I realized there are cars on the road with us. And of course, the whole Rolling Thunder route is blocked off to car vehicle traffic other than the motorcycles. They had taken a wrong turn and we ended up going into Virginia. So uh, Jake and I were not able to attend the service at the end there, which was you know, it was unfortunate. I really wish we could have gotten to do that. I was kind of irritated at it. So was Jake when we finally found a spot to pull over 
in Virginia um, and realized where we were and how it was going to be impossible to get back. Yeah, to they wouldn't have let us pass the barricades. Yeah, it was um, uh, it was unfortunate, and it's the kind of thing that happens. I mean, I don't know why that road wasn't like why there wasn't a barricade in front of that road. I guess they were figuring everybody would know where to go, but clearly the people in front of us, and it wasn't just us. There were at least a couple hundred that went off on this oh, yeah. uh, side shoot, uh, if not more, because as we got there, we kept hearing bikes going past and uh, you know, went into a heavily trafficked interstate. I think it was 66 or something like that that we ended up getting on to. Yeah, or, yeah so, uh, so that was unfortunate. But overall, you know, we got to take part in the meat of the rally going through the city and, of course, being at the, uh, the staging area at the Pentagon, which was really really fantastic to be a part of um we we both had such a a great time being out there meeting everybody talking to people doing all that stuff it was really fantastic and then uh on the the same day i believe it was on sunday some bad news came in from ellicott city maryland jake which is just up the road from us it's really uh ellicott city ellicott city that's where i bought my motorcycle oh really yeah oh okay it's a uh historic town it's an old town dates back you know pre-civil war Uh, a mill town there's a river that runs through it well unfortunately the way that it's set up and the way that construction has gone on over the years and the way it's been built up uh, it floods pretty easily and uh, a couple years ago two years ago almost exactly two years ago they had some devastating floods and a couple of people lost their lives. It happened again this Sunday as they got hit by uh, torrential downpours. We're talking eight inches in a short period of time. It's essentially set up this valley that Ellicott City is in of uh, it's it's like a funnel. Like there are three cliff faces and the water just pours down them all right into this river. You may have seen video from it on the news or on the Weather Channel or on anywhere else because this was national news of Cars being washed away, washed down the hill on Main Street in Ellicott City, as well as you know, cars being washed into blocking up bridges. There was some incredible footage of that that I saw. There is someone uh, still missing from there. I do not believe, as of last night, they hadn't found him, and I haven't seen anything this morning. Um, he is a National Guardsman uh, missing in Ellicott City who apparently went out to help a woman who was uh, was struggling in the floods apparently helped that woman get to safety, but then wasn't um, wasn't able to make it out himself. That's tragic, man. Yeah, the missing uh, man is a National Guardsman, and his name is Sergeant Edison Herman. He's 39 years old from Severn, Maryland. He was last seen at 5:20 on Sunday near La Palapa Restaurant on Main Street, according to Howard County Police. This woman, Kate Bowman, who owns uh, Clippers Canine Cafe, said Herman was trying to help her when he disappeared into the floodwaters. She had escaped from the window of her flooded shop with her cat, and the water was above her waist when she sought Herman to cross the, the, the river, essentially. Said she could barely see or hear anything. He stepped over the ledge to try to get to her and was washed away. This is being reported by the Baltimore Sun as well as uh, other outlets. So, um... The Maryland National Guard, Colonel Charles Charles Kohler, said Herman is a sergeant assigned to Camp Frederick, which is in Reisterstown, Maryland, um, and was not working for the Guard when he went missing. Uh, he was just enjoying a day in Ellicott City. I mean, it's, it's a destination for tourists as well as for people who live in the area. I mean, we live in the area, and there's so many great little restaurants and shops. It's such a uh, – it, it's like going through – it's one of those towns where it's like going through a time warp, you know? You get back to it and uh, – 
you get in there and, and it just feels like you're back in, I don't know, the 50s. They still have like the old movie theater facade is up there. There's not a movie theater there anymore. Uh, it's something else. And as we were watching the flood videos, you could actually see it. And uh, I don't know if that store is there. I don't know if many stores are left after this last one, which you're saying may have been uh, may have been worse than the one two years earlier where a couple of people lost their lives. But, you know, a National Guardsman even not on duty showing how, you know, <laughs> We, when we wear that uniform, we, we are always on duty. And he was working to try and help someone. Uh, he joined the Maryland Army National Guard in 2009. He had enlisted in the Air Force in 96 and served for over a decade on active duty. So this is someone with a long history of service and someone who, uh, you know, according to people who knew him, uh, said that he was just a great guy. Uh, Victoria is the name of a gastropub in Columbia that I'm familiar with. Uh, Herman apparently had worked there for 10 years as a server, bartender, and manager. Just a horrible story. I mean, it's two days later, so you uh, you have to kind of fear for the worst when it comes to uh, this story. But Sergeant, um, Sergeant Edison Herman, 39 years old of Severn, last seen at 5.20 p.m. on Sunday and then washed away in the floods in Ellicott City. Staying in Maryland, some other news that was uh, disturbing this weekend was the private formerly known as Bradley Manning, now known as Chelsea Manning, posted some odd stuff on social media. Of course, Manning is uh, running for the Senate seat in Maryland, trying to unseat the currently elected Democrat who is the senator, one of the two senators representing the state of Maryland on a, uh, some would say, a wacky platform that essentially is like, well, let's uh, release everybody from prison and do all that stuff. And it's it's interesting, you know, abolish uh, ice and borders and things like that. I mean, that's that's the that's the the platform that Manning is running on. Manning posted a picture on Twitter, I believe it was, of feet on a ledge or a window. You don't know if it was Manning's feet or not. All you know is that it was pictures of a feet looking like, you know, maybe somebody was getting ready to jump and had a post underneath it saying, "I'm sorry, I'm not cut out for this life and all that stuff." Um Manning is okay. It's been confirmed. Uh, did not, you know, uh, commit suicide. But, uh, you know, posted that stuff and people saying uh, that are, they're close to Manning saying this is a, it's a difficult way to live life and that all the, the spotlight that's on Manning is difficult and it's taken its toll. Well, maybe running for public office isn't what you should be doing yeah. if that's the case. And at this point, you have to assume for the, the health of the individual that if everyone around, um, if everyone around them is not telling Manning you need to stop, you know, this is this is going to kill you. Maybe literally, this is going to kill you. Uh, then I don't know if those are friends or not. I mean, this is something where y your mental health is. <laughs> yeah. And and if if I mean, what are the chances? It, it was already a long shot that Manning was going to unseat the incumbent, but. What are the chances that someone with severe mental health issues, I mean, shown by multiple suicide attempts, there are those who say it's from the uh, imprisonment. I saw a tweet from someone who's a, a close uh, friend, apparently, and supporter of Manning, saying that Manning was tortured while uh, in captivity. I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know about that. If you consider solitary confinement torture. But this is, you know, for the health of the individual, again, just stop. If everyone involved in that campaign isn't saying today like we're done we're not doing this 
then those people don't have Manning's best interest at heart. Uh, and it'll be, you know, it'll be interesting to see exactly what happens there. I mean, again, it was a long shot. The platform that that's being run on by Manning is it's it's so out there that uh, the, you you're not going to get a lot of people to vote yeah, for you when, when you're make, saying when you make Bernie Sanders look conservative. <laughs> you know, you got some issues. When you, uh, yeah, I mean, one of the things is essentially, let's let everybody out of prison. Gee, where could that go wrong? And and that's, it's an interesting thing where I, I think a lot of people think of prisons as, they don't think anybody's really lawfully there. They think that all these people are innocent and we're just, you know, railroaded by the justice system and everything. You know, there may be a couple cases of those, yeah. but I think the vast majority of people in prison are uh, in prison because they did something very wrong and they're supposed to be in prison. Lastly, uh, yesterday, I got to go to the National Memorial Day Parade. My family and I went down there. I posted some videos on the Connecting Vets Facebook page. Wouldn't let me upload it in HD, which was kind of irritating. I was like, why won't you let me upload in HD? It's, it looks so much better. Really uh, a great time. Uh, my wife is, of course, the planner of everything that we do and got us to um, the National Archives, which is the starting point of the parade. We were directly across from the grandstand where you saw all sorts of military brass. I'm not even sure who all of them were. One person I am sure who he was is Senior Chief Fritz Lebinski, Navy SEAL, most recent recipient of the Medal of Honor. There's been some controversy surrounding his uh, being bestowed with our nation's highest military honor. Uh, as Phil Briggs talked about with uh, the SOFREP guys, it's not anything personal about him, the controversy that's going on. It's about, you know, really about the Navy and the Air Force arguing and you know, whose narrative is right and why is the Navy putting down the Air Force and the Air Force putting down the Navy and all this other stuff. Anyway, he's received the Medal of Honor. He's a guy who's done amazing things uh, in uniform, a highly decorated Navy SEAL who is uh, retired at this point, I believe. And um, he was there. He was at the uh, he was at the starting point, you know, uh, reviewing all of them. He was a special honor guest there. You also had Gary Sinise there. Uh, Gary Sinise. Where isn't Gary Sinise when veterans are around? Yeah, right? right. When they need some help or there's something that needs some light shining on it, Gary Sinise is going to be there. And the other uh, celebrity uh, uh, grand marshal was Joe Montaigne. Now, some of you may know him as well, a number of characters that he's played in film and television over the years. Of course, to me, he'll always be Fat Tony from The Simpsons. <laughs> that voice, that, hey, Joe Montaigne voice. And he got on and spoke. And when you hear that voice, you're like, hey, it's Fat Tony. He's over there. He's doing his thing. And a lot of people got upset at him for doing Fat Tony because, of course, he's Italian. And they felt that it was besmirching the good name of Italian people. Not going to get into that discussion. I will get into the discussion that he, Gary Sinise, and so many others do a lot of great things for veterans. And a lot of veterans on display at the parade yesterday Really a fascinating, beautiful thing to see. A lot of people out there to view it. We were on the steps of the National Archive, Archive, and it was packed. Like, you could barely move. You had to ask people, excuse me. And we eventually got up to the top step to get the best view, and there was a little room back there for my little guy to run around. But I think for those who worry that everybody thinks Memorial Day is just all about uh, barbecues and, and hanging out with your family and friends, no, it's not. These people were out there. It was like a three-hour-long parade. Most people who were there at the beginning were still there at the end. Really a beautiful sight. And again, so many impressive units there. Of course, Pershing Zone, the uh, the Army band that was out there, they kicked off the parade. You had the Marine Corps out there, the Navy, the Air Force, the Coast Guard. 
You had veterans from World War II, Korea. The Tuskegee Airmen rolled through. You had, as I said, Gary Sinise, Joe Montana. You had numerous organizations that support veterans. You had organizations that I didn't even know what they were. The Navy Club. I still have to look up what exactly the Navy Club is. It was congressionally chartered in 1940. I know that because I saw it on the side of uh, one of their uh, on the side of their float as they were going down. Appeared to be older veterans dating back to like the World War II and Korea era. Still fit into their uniforms. I don't know if I could do that right. Yeah, now. They, they certainly did. So, so many great uh, organizations out there and everybody cheering them along. Of course, marching bands from like all 50 states were out there. Just an incredible time and really a great thing to see. And if you ever get the opportunity to check out the National Memorial Day Parade, highly recommend that you do it. I mean, you know, it's 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 a good time to come to Washington, D.C. Yeah, it's going to be busy. The city's going to be busy. But if you're coming down for a trip, you know, oftentimes it is a long weekend and you can see a lot of different things. You can check out that parade, go to the Vietnam Memorial. Rolling Thunder takes place on Memorial Day weekend. Uh, it's just a great time to check out our nation's capital and all the amazing memorials, all the amazing things that are in place to honor those who have served and those who gave their lives. Also just happened to be dropped off by our Uber right by the Navy Memorial as a ceremony was going on there and bumped into an old friend of mine. We were sea cadets together. I knew him when he was about 11 years old and joined the league cadets <laughs> in uh, Stamford, Connecticut. He's now a lieutenant commander select in the Navy and is the aide to an admiral, a uh, rear admiral, and was over there. So really just a, a, an amazing day. Uh, for my family and an amazing day for, uh, you know, as a veteran being out there knowing people who made the ultimate sacrifice and seeing all these people gather in honor of them. You're listening to The Morning Briefing on Intercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day, and we will be back right after this. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At Connecting Vets. Welcome back to The Morning Briefing. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer and Entercom's ConnectingVets.com. Well, that's your website. Connecting Vets every day is what we do, and that's why it's our slogan. And if you go and check out the website, again, ConnectingVets.com, you will find it to be very true. Each and every member of our team is a veteran themselves, and we're all working to get the content that we think you need to know about, we think you'd want to know about, we think you should know about, every day on ConnectingVets.com. So go over there and check it out. And of course, follow us on social media where we are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and of course, YouTube as well. You'll get to see all of that content on a variety of platforms. We're talking print, we're talking video, we're talking audio, we're talking everything that you need and everything that you need to know about presented to you in a variety of ways, all focusing on the veteran experience and trying to help you live your best veteran life. Speaking of veterans, you know, we talk to them just about every day here on the morning briefing. And one of them is sitting across from me in the studio right now. He is Jason Souza, and he once served as one of those EOD technicians that we've all heard so much about. But let's find a little bit about the specifics of Jason Souza. So, Jason, first off, good morning. Thank you for joining us. And second, tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, where you're from, when you joined and what you did while you were in. My name is Jason Souza. I uh, originally came from Catskill, New York. Um, spent about 23 years in service, just retired in October. Um, my last assignment was uh, as a battalion commander for an EOD battalion out of New York State National Guard. 
Very cool. And of course, being from uh, Connecticut myself, I'm familiar with that area very much. Are you a good skier being up in the Catskills? Love it. (laughs) There you go. So you did uh, a lengthy period of time in service. And as we've talked about so many times, I think there are those among us who assume that when someone retires from the military, they are just set. They've planned everything out. That transition is going to be easy peasy for them. Everything's going to go perfectly. What was transitioning to veteran status this past October like for Jason Souza? Well, it was probably one of the most stressful times in my uh, in my life. Um, one of the things that you don't understand is is what you truly need when you move out. You know, the military provides a lot of stuff for you. Uh, when you get to the corporate world, it's it's completely different. Um, it's a different atmosphere. It's a different uh, mindset, and you got to be uh, prepared for it. What were some of the ways that you feel like you were least prepared, or things that you were least prepared for as you moved into that veteran status? I think one of the biggest things is is transitioning from a, a military mindset of, you know, everything is almost not dictated, but, you know, given to you, where a corporate world is you have to truly figure out exactly what your next steps are, um, and then trying to find that mentor uh, that's out there. People don't wear rank in the corporate world, so you're, you're trying to find the, the mentor that's going to suit your career path. That's an interesting thing, and the fact that it doesn't work the same way outside of the military. We're in the military... You enlist in, let's say, the Army or a private. There's a very specific route, whether you're trying to get up to sergeant major, whether you want to go warrant officer, whether you want to go to the officer corps. Uh, It's very regimented, I guess, would be a way to look at it. So that lack of structure, was is that's what you would say is the biggest uh, struggle for you or was the biggest struggle for you, getting ready, getting used to that different structure or lack of structure? Yeah, it's not necessarily a lack of structure. It's, It's a different structure. Right. So understanding what, what makes you successful in the business world is different than what makes you uh, successful in as as far as um, military. But there are a lot of stuff that you can use um, utilizing your uh, leadership skills. Um, there's a lot of people in the corporate world that it's looked upon as, as a tremendous skill. Um, you got to utilize that. So trying to figure out what skills from the military truly transition to the corporate world and then what skills from the military that you need to let go. Um, not being very directive, understanding people skills. It's all things that you have to pull out of yourself uh, if you didn't have them coming out of the military. One thing that usually doesn't translate well for those uh, senior enlisted and senior officers is yelling at people. There's a lot less yelling in the civilian world, I've noticed as well, after transitioning over there. Still a little bit, but not quite as much as I saw in the military. Now, for those people who may be coming up on retirement, maybe going through that process right now, they're in the middle of uh, going through that transitioning process, What's the biggest piece of advice that you, Jason Souza, just, I mean, here we are, we're what, seven months from when you retired. What's the biggest piece of advice you would give to those going through that right now or preparing for it? Biggest piece of advice I give is utilize all the educational benefits that the military gives you. You're crazy coming out of the service without having degrees because that's going to set you apart from other people. Um, and the military is giving it to you for free. You know, so utilize that. The other one is um, start focusing on yourself. You know, throughout your whole career, you've always focused on your subordinates, or at least you should have. Uh, it's time to start looking at yourself, making sure that you're you're successful, looking at what certifications you're going to need for whatever career field you're going to get out of, and it's seeing if the military will provide them. A lot of times they do, um, and we just overlook them as a vet. That's so true. And as you said, you know, again, for those senior people, you've spent time making sure that your guys were going to be prepared for when they got out, maybe after four years, eight years, whatever the case may be that you often forget about yourself and that you need to do some of those same preparations. Good advice from Jason Souza, retired United States Army EOD. 
who's doing something pretty amazing right now. And let's talk about that, Jason. So as I understand it, you are doing work along with a team, including veterans, entirely veterans, as far as I know, to help out orphans in Kenya. Tell us how this first came to be and how you became aware of uh, the needs that they had and how you might be able to help them. So it all started out as we were doing a training mission in Kenya, uh, helping the Kenyan Defense Forces, uh, teaching EOD-type work, uh, IED defeat work. As we were driving back and forth to the Kenyan Defense Compound, uh, we noticed kids with no shoes on. So I emailed back my wife. I said, hey, is there any way we can get a couple pairs of shoes? We'll ship them over here and see how that works. Uh, That's morphed into something a, a lot more. So my team got together, we're all vets. Uh, it was nine of us, all EOD techs. Uh, just started volunteering our time. Uh, saw an orphanage. Uh, started talking to the lady that was there, her name was Eva. Uh, said, what do you need? She said, I want goats and chickens. Hmm. And the only reason she wanted that was for milk and eggs, a sustainable food source. So that really touched all of us. Uh, so at nights and on weekends when we weren't working, we were going over to the orphanage and, and looking at how we could help out. Started out as we got an acre of land, got that deeded to her, ran fresh water, and we started building buildings. So currently on the property itself right now, we have two buildings. Um, All of it is either self-sustainable through solar or reducing a cost um, uh, for the orphanage. So the two buildings we have on there right now, one is a 30 by 100 foot uh, children's home, and the other one is a 20 by 60 foot uh, facility that they do their cooking and some of their school lessons. So it's more from shoes to a, a massive program that's it's actually the largest children's home now in the Samburu pro, uh, province. That is a massive change. Is it something that you were uh, even thinking about that you even had in mind when you first approached this lady to say like, hey, what could you use that one day it would turn into buildings and, and a little bit more than just some pairs of shoes? No, not it actually just started out as I thought I was, you know, trying to get rid of some some Kenyan uh, some Kenyan money. Uh, that we had and, and it was a good way to do it so what started out as hey can i buy you something you know we can provide for the home now it's a program that's enduring uh we're working with another program called the samburo project uh, they build uh wells in the area um, and they're also providing us project manager support so they're going there and they're checking with eva but i also talk to eva you know, about three times a week on facebook uh, we go back and forth and she tells me what needs are there so what started out as shoes is now we're now providing uh funds for you know some of the kids to go to school because uh, high school is not free over there. So that's, it's one of our long-term uh, goals. Jason, when it comes to a project like this, it started while you were serving on a military mission over there. That may surprise some people. How common is it when you are working in a country like that, where you're doing training missions, essentially, how common is it to have that sort of interaction with the general public while you're over there? Or was this kind of a unique set of circumstances? Um, it truly depends. Uh, if you're in Iraq and Afghanistan, you're not going to be working out in the public unless they're on base. Uh, Kenya was just a, a different mission set. You know, we're doing a lot of work in Africa, uh, and you get out within the public, and you're you're out in the local hotel. So, you know, visiting local people is a great way to to understand what's happening out in society, and it's it's uh, it's a good way to start, and it touches your heart. Everyone I've known that's gone to different countries over there all want to uh, help some in some way. I follow a lot of people who are currently serving and, you know, special operations groups that are over in places like Niger and they post pictures to kind of show people like this is what people are dealing with over here and they just want to live their lives and they're being precluded from doing it by terrorists and other people. How widespread are these issues in Kenya specifically that you're talking about? I mean, I imagine it's not just in this one province that there are needs like this, correct? Correct. So it's, it's all over Kenya. 
Um, the reason we chose uh, the children's home that we did is she didn't ask for a handout. Um, she really was just asking, hey, give me something that's sustainable for the kids. And that's that's what touched us, especially from the military perspective. You never want to just give somebody something that's not going to last. Um, this made it sustainable, and that's what she was asking for. So that that really helped us out doing that. The biggest thing that I've noticed in all these countries is uh, we take a lot of stuff for granted in the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, little things that we, uh, you know, fresh water, little things that we take for granted, uh, they they get and they're they're happy about it. So these kids, no matter how much or little they have, are always smiling. They're always happy to see, and that's that's what makes it worthwhile. There are places in Africa where the first half of people's day is walking to get water and then walking back. I mean, we're talking double digit miles in some cases to go get water. So. A, a huge aid that, again, as you said, we often take for granted here. When you first uh, started getting shoes for these orphans over there, what was the response uh, from the orphans themselves or from the home? I mean, what was the first response that you got back to let you know you were doing something really good over there? Well, it's funny. It's uh, The response I got wasn't necessarily about bringing them shoes. Uh, the first response I got was about us just being there. Um, they were very appreciative of the shoes. They were very appreciative of the clothing, but they were happy just truly to see us and interact with the kids. So the kids, you know, we'll go out there and play soccer with them or, or bring them toys. Like my kids went and uh, used all their, their savings and bought a bunch of fidget spinners uh, and brought them over there. The kids were just happy to interact with us. Uh, so it's, it's been a great experience. Talking about walking uh, for water, I go out to schools now, uh, try to uh, reach out to some of the schools in the local area. The average age is about 11, 13 years old when the girls start going for water. Um, and they walk approximately 7 to 10 miles to any water hole. And that water may or may not be clean. Um, and each one of those water buckets, you're looking at about a 65-pound uh, lift. So I always go to schools and I bring a 7-gallon container and I have the little kids lift this thing and go, hey, you know, it's 11 to 13 years old. This is your job. Um, so, so be appreciative of, of the water fountain over there, you know, uh, and just everything that you have. Let's talk about the reception that you've gotten and the response that you've gotten here in the United States. Of course, you've been on Fox News talking about this, other organizations. It's great to be able to shine a spotlight on this, but has there also been a lot of help coming from people within the states for uh, you and your team of veterans to kind of make uh, make this project doable? Uh, massive amounts of help. What started out as my buddy saying, hey, go go start a GoFundMe site, and I didn't even know what it was, um, to <laughs> raising, we've raised close to almost 40-something thousand dollars. Uh, and my wife and I have contributed a bunch to it. The The outpouring of help is is always kind of, we've limped along every time that we thought we were going to be stopping because we ran out of money. Uh, someone in the local area, Fredericksburg has been awesome. Uh, someone in the local area has you know, donated a, a chunk of cash to get us to that next step. So it's never been, we've had enough money to complete the whole project. We kind of see what's needed and we uh, we get funding as, as we go along. Of course, you talked about how it's grown from shoes to so much now we're talking buildings and we're talking about homes uh, for these orphans that are over there how surprised were you at how fast this whole thing grew from just those shoes to so much more uh completely surprising uh you know my my wife and myself and my kids talk about it quite a bit this program uh, we were just reflecting the other day we've been doing this for about 18 months now uh, the program itself from the time that you know we said hey let's let's do shoes to building complete was less than nine months so it it's definitely uh expanded a lot quicker than we thought we've uh we've done a lot more than we thought we were going to do uh and there's still a lot to do so you know do we know exactly where it's going no do we know we're going to keep supporting in the future 100 percent. 
it seems counterintuitive, I think, when people hear the word explosive and EOD, explosive ordnance disposal, where, oh, the bomb guys. But you guys are actually within that job about diffusing situations and taking threats away. Do you think that that plays into the fact that you're now working to kind of uh, diffuse the negative situation that these orphans are in as they, they struggle to get by on a daily basis, whether it's finding water, having shoes or anything like that? I completely agree with that. Um, one of the things that we were over there doing was training the Kenyan Defense Force on how to defuse IEDs so it makes a safer country. I mean, that's all we're really looking about is is making a safer area for whoever it is. Um, so our big thing that we do in EOD is not training an event, training a capability. We're trying to make people capable of helping themselves. So the children's home was just an extension of that. We're still, it's still providing them something so that they can get along and have a capability so they're not dependent on other people. How important do you think it is for the American population to realize, and I think it's something that they don't realize, when I hear people talk to me, ask me questions about Afghanistan, it's always about, oh, did you ever shoot at anything? It's never about, hey, did you guys hand out gloves to children in the uh, in the Maimana area or anything like that? How important do you think it is to let people know about these kind of uh, side jobs that the military is doing over there where we find ways to help out the local population and, and give them uh, you know, a little bit of a better life at least? I mean, any mission you go on, I mean, you're dealing with 5% of the people or less, right? You know, the, the bad people. But you really want to have a positive impact on wherever you're going because that's what a lot of these kids see, and that's the future of any culture you go to. So they see us as Americans are going over there doing all the, you know, the negative stuff. That's the, that's the impression they have. If they see us as Americans going over there and giving them stuff and handing them and, and playing with them and helping them, they see a friendly American face, and it kind of changes the whole dynamic of what an American is. A lot of countries that I go to, uh, we have a negative perception a lot of as Americans in the outside world. That's not what I've, I've felt. A lot of them see Americans as, as very generous, um, very warm people, very happy people. And that's what we need to be showing them is, is the better side of, of our society, not just the, what the military can bear. When you talk about the growth that you've seen already, again, with helping these orphans out, where do you think it goes from here? Do you think it keeps getting bigger? Does it expand out to other locations, or is this going to stay uh, with this uh, very specific orphanage that you've been uh, that you've been dealing with from the start? So ultimately, I, I would love to start a, a massive nonprofit and and you know helping people you know with hand ups. Uh, but honestly, for this orphanage, I've gotten uh, you know hundreds of requests to help out other ones. Uh, I think it's going to stay generalized to the Samboro area. Um, we were just uh, inspected the other day. It's it's now the largest children's home in Samboro. Uh, it's not government sanctioned, but yet the government brings all of their sanctioned children homes to ours to to look at to see because it's it's a model. Mm. Uh, I want to stay there. There's enough work within that little region uh, that we can we could be there and help them out. There are kids that need to go to school, so there are other things we want to do. Um, you know, we provided the home. We gave them a nice place to stay. We're giving them food. Education is a big thing. Uh, we want to. That's where we want to expand. Is is trying to expand that out. That the whole program itself started with a guy that cared. You know, a Kenyan guy that moved to to the Archer's Post, Samburo area, cared, and he just started bringing kids in. We're just trying to help that live on um, and get these kids education so that they can be whatever they want to be. You know, some of them want to be doctors, some of them want to be uh, lawyers, some of them want to just be farmers. So we want to help that out as much as possible. When you talk about Kenya, it's a it's a company of company, a country of kind of extremes where you have Nairobi, you have Mombasa, you have 
these massive cities, these very modern cities, and you also have these very rural areas. Having been to Kenya, which I haven't, you have, what can you tell us about the the disparity between, you know, the haves and the have-nots in that country, and why do we have so many issues where you have skyscrapers in one location, why are we having trouble getting water in other locations, do you think? So within the city centers, what I've noticed, and this is obviously not from pure fact, it's just from, from what I've noticed, the government provides a lot more for the city centers because it's easier to provide. Once you get out into the rural areas, it's you know it's counties, and the counties are trying to provide for themselves. There's not a massive amount of of economy, so economy is going to happen, you know, within Nairobi and Mombasa and, and you know the Maasai Mara because of tourism. All the other ones are kind of outliers. So people, you know, within Nairobi get a lot of government help. Outside of Nairobi, like Samburu, they're dependent on the county, and the county doesn't have a lot of money. So it's they're doing stuff. They just don't get as much. Um, and that's why programs like the Samboro project, uh, that are digging wells or, you know, are important or people just going over there and doing missionary work or pseudo missionary work. Uh, just going out there and just being good, you know, good people and trying to, to help them out is important. How difficult is it to ensure that the, the money and that everything that you're doing is getting where it needs to go? As we know, there are many places around the world where corruption is rampant, and Kenya is a place that has had some issues with corruption. Is that a struggle, or is it something that necessitates you going over boots on the ground in Kenya more often to make sure that it's getting there, or is it simply staying in touch via Facebook, like you were talking about earlier? So, I, so there's a couple ways that we make sure that the money gets where it's at, and that's that's what's made us so successful in getting donations. People understood it was me, you know, so they're doing the GoFundMe or, or sending me a check. So they know the person doing it. So 100% of what I receive goes back out. Um, so two ways I, I, I manage the money there. One, um, Eva gives me a list of, of items she needs. Uh, we provide that for her. And she sends me a copy of every receipt she has. So I see it. I also see the pictures uh, of exactly what she's doing. So if they want to say tile the whole kitchen floor, I get a receipt for the tile. But then she, I also get pictures of, of what the end state was. And that's something I post all the time, you know, just say, look, what's, you know, the improvements. The second part is the Samboro project, uh, working with them. They have somebody on the ground there. Um, and they're there quite often. They're there, uh, every quarter, but they have a, a daily presence and he goes just out and just sees how Eva's doing, seeing if there's any other things she needs, or if, if he sees something that he thinks we should kind of focus on that they could possibly use. So we're uh, real cognizant of where the money goes, how it goes. Uh, we've never had an issue over there. So everything that we've said the money was going towards has gone exactly to that. And that kind of feeds into that self-sustaining uh, aspect that you were talking about earlier, where they didn't want you know, some money so they could buy some food. They wanted goats and eggs so they could have milk and they could have chicken. When you're able to prove to people who would be willing to give that, yes, everything that you give is going to be used properly, that kind of creates a self-sustaining way of, of being able to keep growing this project, doesn't it? 100%. Um, so we started off with somebody that that was doing good. You know, her family has been doing this for 30 years uh, without asking for anything from anybody. So it was kind of a trust was, was uh, automatically there. So when we do give her money and she wants sustainable stuff, that's, that's what matters. Um, and it's easy to, to keep giving money over um, to help that out because we have specific projects that we earmark for every, every dollar we get. So if I have a friend that donates money, I'll ask him, hey, is there certain things? Here's what we want to do. Are there certain things you want that money to go towards? Most of them say no, whatever Eva believes. Uh, and that's where we put it towards. Some of them say, hey, I want to pay you know, education costs. And that's what we'll do. 
people like Ava in places like Kenya, where you have, uh, you know, extreme poverty in places, as we're talking about here with orphans and difficulty and lack of access to water, they are uh, miracle workers, what they're doing, and they spend uh, so much of themselves in order to do it. We talked about the response that you've gotten from the kids. What has she told you about what, what difference this has made in her life and her life's mission of helping these children? So she never talks about what difference is made in her life, uh, but the kids are happier. They're not worrying about little things. You know, uh, they know they have food. She knows that if, if a kid gets sick, um, that there's going to be a method to providing uh, medical care. So for her, it, it's kind of relieved some of the, you know, constantly going out and, and trying to make ends meet or, or exceed. A lot of her brothers uh, actually work every day uh, to go out and provide you know some funding back to the orphanage so it's it's helping them out it's it's alleviating some of that so it's allowing them to to get a little further along than they were if they were just doing it by themselves having that external help is always i mean just about everybody needs some external help we can always look at military units i mean any military unit is going to need help from some other unit at some point in time whether it's air support whether it's supplies whether it's anything it's going to be there how important do you think it is for more of us in the veteran community to get involved, whether during or after our service, in helping out some of the places where we've served, where we've seen these issues, where we've seen things that we know we could help with just a little bit of effort? I, I think it's important for yourself and your, your well-being. Um, one of the things that I try to stress is everyone says, well, how did you start? And my big thing is I just did it. You know, I mean, you just got to make that first step. A lot of things that keeps us back is we – we don't want to take that first step uh, in helping people because we think it's going to be too hard. You know, just do it. If, if, even if something small, opening the door for somebody. It doesn't have to be where we serve either. It can be here in the States. Um, just getting out there and volunteering your time. It, it's going to make an impact whether you realize it or not. Um, you know, whether they know your name or not. It's just get out there and help. Do whatever you can. Jason Susan and his team of veterans are doing everything they can to help the children at the orphanage over in Kenya that we've been talking about. Jason, if people want to find out more about what you guys are doing, if they maybe want to help out with what you're doing, is there a website or someplace that they can go to check out all the information and, and keep up to date on the great work? So they can go to uh, the Samburu Project. That's S-A-M-B-U-R-U Project. Um, and we're on there. Or we have a Facebook site, and it's called uh, EOD Vets. Uh, for Mama with Sherry's home, which is kind of long, uh, but the easiest way is go to the Samboro Project, and it'll, it'll link you to uh, different different ways to connect with us. Uh, this thirty on the thirtieth of June, we're doing a walk for water in Fredericksburg. Uh, so if you want to come on out, just come on down. Uh, go to the Samboro Project. You can you can go from there. Uh, that's the best way to get a hold of us. Well, Jason Souza, thank you so much for joining us on the morning briefing, and more importantly, thank you for the great work that you and your team are doing. It's it's really amazing and wonderful to hear. <laughs> about veterans getting out there and doing things to help make the world a better place. So thank you so much. And thank you for uh, having a program that allows vets to, to uh, express their thoughts and feelings. Well, it's our pleasure. You're listening to The Morning Briefing. Back after this with Tom Porter from IAVA. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We are CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at ConnectingVets. Welcome back to the Morning Briefing on Entercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. 
connecting vets every day. It's our slogan because it's what we do. Each and every member of our team is a veteran. You've got Army veterans, Navy veterans, Marine Corps veterans, Air Force veterans. Get those applications in because we don't have any at the moment, but we'd love to have some Air Force veterans on our team. Each and every member that we do have is working each and every day to get veteran voices out there, to make sure that you know about the things that you should know about, whether it's legislation that will affect you, whether it's benefits that could benefit you, whether it's some cool little free giveaway that would just be nice to know about, you're going to find all that stuff on ConnectingVets.com. And the best way to keep track of what we're doing there, follow us out on social media where we are at ConnectingVets on all the big ones, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Our next guest represents an organization that you can also find on all those social media platforms. They're pretty big on those social media platforms. In fact, he is Tom Porter from IAVA, and he joins us once again on the morning briefing. Tom, how are you today on this post-Memorial Day Tuesday? Outstanding, Eric. Thanks, th- thanks for having me in with you today. Of course, IAVA normally joins us on Monday, but yesterday was Memorial Day, a huge day for the veteran community, of course, for the American people in general. But we're going to talk about stuff taking back even a little bit before that, because, Tom, you were up in New York City, my uh, neck of the woods, for Fleet Week last week. Now, you're a Navy guy yourself. I've never been to Fleet Week, man. What's that whole experience life, and what what exactly was IAVA uh, doing up there during Fleet Week? Eric, you need to come on up for Fleet Week and, jo- and join IAVA up there, especially. Uh, it just a, it's just a huge party for our sea services where we, we show the public uh, what we do, why we do it, uh, invite them aboard ships, show everything off. Uh, it's 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 amazing. I've been up there uh, as uh, in uniform and working for IAVA. And last week we had a, a giant uh, reception uh, for board members, supporters, um, veterans, military that came in. Over a hundred people uh, came came down to Battery Park, uh, and we had uh, media uh, that that attended as well. And just just a great. Uh, Time to see the parade of ships uh, that that arrives into New York City at the start of Fleet Week. So, so please join us at some point in the future. It's, it's just an amazing event. I, you know, I hope to, and I always wanted to go to Fleet Week uh, activities. It just never worked out for me. While I was in the Navy, we did go up to New York City once on the USS Saipan. We docked in Staten Island. I want to say it was in February, so not the most pleasant time of year to be in that area. It snowed while we were there. It's for the ship's 25th anniversary, and people got to come out and take tours, and I got to take part in that, so that was fantastic. But Fleet Week, just a bigger deal, and it's something that uh, I I think each of us that has served in the Navy would like to experience once or twice. But uh, to this point, I haven't, but I'm going to take you up on that. I'm definitely going to get there uh, at some point before I leave this earth. You know, It's one of those bucket list things. Great. We'd love to have you. Of course, something even bigger took place, and that was this weekend being Memorial Day weekend. There was a lot going on. There was the Rolling Thunder event that Jake and I took part in on Sunday. Saw quite a few IAVA t-shirts uh, out there in the Rolling Thunder parking lot, in the Pentagon North parking lot. Uh, of course, the National Parade for Memorial Day. More than that, for people outside of our nation's capital, there was uh, a lot going on on social media, for example, including the Go Silent campaign, which IAVA was uh, essentially the people who started that. So what can you tell us about Go Silent and where that came from? Go Silent, uh, we wanted to be able to, uh, this is a few years ago uh, when, when it began, we, we wanted to be able to communicate to, to Americans why we have Memorial Day. W- what are we thinking on Memorial Day? Who are we, we remembering? It's not just a barbecue day. It's great to have that barbecue great to go to the beach, but we want to remind people to, to please take a moment, in this case a minute, to, to, to go silent 
and reflect on the meaning of the day and, and remember some or all that have lost their lives in, in wars. What was the response that you guys got from both the IAVA membership and the general public? I mean, I noticed the, the hashtag go silent certainly was trending yesterday. What was the overall response? Positive? Oh, it, it was huge. Uh, if, you, if you look at our, our social media posts on that with the hashtag go silent, lots, lots of attention, a lot, lot more by far than, than, than our normal traffic. Um, and so the, it, was a, it was a big event. You had two major uh, n- national cable network TV uh, stations, uh, one that actually stopped broadcasting for an entire minute. Wow. Uh, and, and another that, that, uh, that put up our banner with the Go Silent uh, campaign. So huge impact. Cardinals professional baseball game yesterday. They stopped the game, went silent uh, uh, in response to our campaign for a whole minute. Huge. Um, and, and so uh, this is just a powerful moment to, to remind people to reflect on the true meaning of, of Memorial Day and those that have lost their lives. Yeah. And, uh, and I'll say that, that we started this, this weekend uh, appropriately. I, I, so rewarding on Friday. Um, I was able to join the, uh, the TAPS uh, folks. For those that don't know, the Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors, uh, founded by Bonnie Carroll, who's also an IAVA board member. Uh, it, it, they assist children and spouses of those uh, who've lost their lives in uniform. They had hundreds of children and spouses uh, here in, in the D.C. area for a national seminar for survivors. And just to be able to hear their stories uh, and talk to them and, 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 and see how they're progressing. Uh, they have men, military mentors for each one of them. And there were hundreds of them there. The vice president came and spoke. That was huge. Uh, so I hope, hope to be able to take part more in that in the future. Just a powerful uh, organization. Absolutely. And, and TAPS took part in the National Memorial Day Parade uh, in D.C. I happened to be able to attend that uh, right at the, uh, the kickoff point there across from the grandstand at the National Archives. Really hammered home how many families have been affected gold star families let off the parade and there were quite a few of them there were gold star children on a couple of the floats there was uh, the taps that was there with uh, you know the spouses uh, being included in, in many ways throughout the parade there were just families that have been affected and that's just the tip of the iceberg so you know on memorial day i think it's important not only that we remember those who made the ultimate sacrifice but those who made a similar sacrifice being the families and loved ones of those who were not able to come. Absolutely. And just being around so many of them, um, it's just, uh, the, the taps folks are true heroes and that what they do for these families. Um, and I saw more of them yesterday. Uh, they were at the uh, national uh, Memorial day observance at Arlington cemetery. We attended and, and laid a wreath along with other VSOs, but the TAPS folks were there too, and they, they were, many of them were there. So it's good to see them uh, at all of these events um, and, and learn from them and hear their stories. Um, so we, we, uh, we actually uh, had several of our members that flew in, uh, some from as far away as Huntington Beach, California. Command Sergeant Major Thomas Brashear uh, came out with his wife. Um, we had a recently retired uh, warrant officer, um, Darla Saunders. Um, just retired a couple weeks ago, and and she uh, was chosen uh, to lay IAVA's wreath at the Tomb of the Unknowns yesterday. And then after that, after the president spoke, uh, after we laid our wreath, we uh, gathered together with our members and friends and walked down to Section 60, uh, where, as you know, uh, many of the post-9-11 killed in action are buried, uh, where we paid our respects there as well. 
a lot going on around the country this Memorial Day weekend. We're speaking to Tom Porter from IAVA uh, about what IAVA was doing this weekend and the Go Silent campaign uh, to bring attention to what Memorial Day is about. You know, Tom, I, I hear a lot of people saying that they think the nation has forgotten what Memorial Day was about. I see some people being even pedantic enough to say, well, we'll say happy Memorial Day. It's not a happy thing. It's 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 this, it's that. It's also they thank me for my service. This isn't a day about me. This is about those who didn't come back. As I look around, though, I think I've seen that there are quite a few people who know exactly what Memorial Day is about. And there are a lot of organizations doing amazing things, a lot of individuals doing amazing things. And as I've heard from so many other veterans, they don't want people to not have the the beach day and the, and the, the hot dogs and the barbecue. They just want people to also just take a moment to think about why they have the freedom to have those things. And that what this, that's what this day is about. Do you think that people uh, do have a general understanding and appreciation for what Memorial Day is? Or do you think we still have more work to do to make sure that more people understand? Uh, we have more work to do. And we've come a long way, actually. Uh I think I think probably social media has a whole lot to do with that in that in that the veterans and military community over the last recent years have been sharing what it is that Memorial Day means to them and 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 what it's not. Uh, and so I I'm seeing uh, amongst uh, uh, friends of mine that don't have a connection to the military and social media that there's more of a realization in recent years. And I think that, that has a lot to do with with uh, the, able, uh, the ability to share information on social media. And I think that uh, people are, are recognizing that. And and you're right. Um, I think most military and veterans probably uh, don't want to shame people into thinking what they think on Memorial Day. Uh, we want them to have a good time. We want them to go to the beach, have those barbecues with the family, uh, but but also take that moment. And that's why the Go Silent campaign is so effective and why it's taken hold is because we just want people to take a minute. Take a minute in the mid- middle of your busy uh, weekend and just, just to remember the true meaning of Memorial Day and those that have died. One of the best things I saw on social media from one veteran who had uh, lost many of his uh, brothers-in-arms was the very last thing that any of them would have wanted is for you to be sitting alone at a bar crying into your beer this Memorial Day, you know? find a time to celebrate their lives and not just mourn them. You know, you can do both. It yeah. doesn't need to be a, an either or. It can be an and, can it? Yeah, yeah. And, and there's so many things going on, especially in the D.C. area, for you to take part in. Uh, and, and communities all across America, you, you see parades, uh, you see other veterans and, and, and military events uh, with, aimed at remembering those that have lost their lives. So there's many. And we encourage everybody to reach out um, and you can reach out to IAVA.org each Memorial Day, and we always uh, can find places to, to, to plug you in. Um, happy to. And there are, of course, the things that happen on a national level in places like Washington, D.C., Fleet Week in New York. There's local things that people can get involved in as well, aren't there? Sure, sure. I mean, we've in the past, uh, on the weekends, we've gone out to, say, Leesburg, Virginia, uh, where they have a, a community uh, parade and and elsewhere we've been to parades uh, with with my daughters and and so there's 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 things going on all across the country uh, yep. you just have to reach out and reach out to a veterans organization and and uh, you're going to be able to find out what's happening in the area I'm sure they'll they'll be able to help you out I for many years went my mother's hometown of Clinton Connecticut they have a great Memorial Day parade and you know some people may uh, may f- think like ah, I don't want to go out to a parade it's just gonna it's gonna be a whole thing. I have yet to go to a parade, Tom Porter, that I did not enjoy the heck out of. So I recommend people going out. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I love a parade, big or small. Yeah. 
One uh, parade that's taking place here coming up very soon is a little bit more of a march, a little bit more of a storming of the hill, some might say. That's IAVA's Storm the Hill event, which is coming up in the very near future. Tom, first, tell us what Storm the Hill is. What exactly does that mean for IAVA? Uh, Storm the Hill is uh, we bring members from uh, IAVA members from all across the country um, to Washington, D.C., to visit Capitol Hill and be the real face uh, of veterans and our membership and their families uh, on Capitol Hill and talk to Congress about what it is that's your top priority in Washington for Congress to address. That's what they do. We've been doing this for years. We do this several times a year, usually about every quarter we bring people in. Um, and so this, this time we're bringing them in um, starting the week of June 4th. Follow us on social media. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot. We're going to be talking about uh, we're going to be talking about our new burn pits legislation that's that's really popular uh, about uh, medical cannabis uh, for for veterans and our Deborah Sampson Act to fill gaps in care for women veterans. Uh, those are three of our top priorities that we're going to be talking about, uh, including uh, a, a congressional hearing, the House Veterans Affairs Committee on June seventh. And you can watch that online at their website. Um, we're going to be testifying on burn pits, and we're going to be talking about our new legislation that was just introduced. That's something we'd really like you to focus on. Also, that same week, we have a big event called Salutes. It's our annual awards uh, night where we're going to uh, pre present an award to Congressman Brian Mast uh, from Florida for his uh, work and his commitment to helping veterans and military and military families. And we're going to give an award to Leo Shane of Military Times for all his uh, commitment and his work in telling the story about veterans. You know, when I hear something like that, Brian Mass getting an award, that brings up something that I want to talk to you about. And that is, sometimes when I've done interviews with IAVA, I get messages on Twitter like, why are you talking to them? They're a left-wing liberal organization. IAVA is a nonpartisan organization, aren't you? I mean, Brian Mast is a Republican congressman from the state of Florida. He's an Army veteran, an EOD technician, lost both legs to an IED. You know, how important is it for IAVA during the Storm the Hill event? I mean, you're not just going to be talking to Republicans and not going to be talking just to Democrats, are you? Right. We're, ta we're talking to congressional leadership, both sides of the aisle, Republicans and Democrats, uh, uh, mostly on the House Armed Services, Senate Armed Services Committees, the Veterans Committees, the leadership of those committees, since they have such an impact on our on our uh, policy agenda that I just uh, focused on, and and yes, we are nonpartisan. Uh, yes, uh, Brian Mast is a is a Republican from Florida. We know that that he works across the aisle, uh, makes a huge effort to do that. Uh, he uh, is working on on our uh, top priority legislation to uh, to address uh, uh, burn pits with uh, Tulsi Gabbard, a Democrat from Hawaii. And just by the way, uh, we uh, awarded uh, Tulsi Gabbard uh, the same award last year. Uh, so we work with members from uh, from from all parties, uh, all political persuasions. If you want to help veterans, if you want to help the military, we want to work with you. How frustrating does it get that there are people who assume of organizations like I know VSOs, each VSO that we talk to, we talk to IAVA, we talk to the Legion, we talk to the VFW. You all work with people on both sides of the aisle. You all come together on many issues to agree on something. How frustrating is it that there are those who then get this idea in their head that every veteran organization must have some hidden agenda that they're, oh, they claim they're bipartisan, but they, they have an agenda. And I can point it out by, look, they gave an award to Tulsi Gabbard. And then, of course, this year, it's Brian Mast who's getting it from the other side of the aisle. How, how do you guys look at that? 
Well, I, it, that's unfortunate, and we try to push push through that, and we'll, we're happy to engage, and we do engage with with many of these folks that that uh, that might react like that. Uh, I think in in today's hyper partisan environment, uh, and we've all all got those friends on Facebook that 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 can't leave uh, their political opinions <laughs> alone, you know. Um, and I think that many of them will look at if you do something nice for somebody of a, of of one party, that that must mean you're all in with them, uh, uh, you know, and 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 that you're horrible for doing that. And no, there, there's uh, there's great people on both sides of the aisle and all parties that want to help veterans and military, and we want to work with them uh, regardless of, of whether there's an R or an, a D or an I after their name. Sometimes on back-to-back days, I'll be called a right-wing nut job and a left-wing nut job on social media. So well, we yeah. get the same thing. We get the same thing. I don't know how you can be be both of them at the same time, but hey, we just try to push through it. <laughs> We're speaking with the legislative director of IAVA, Tom Porter. And focusing right now on the Storm the Hill event that is starting next week, the week of June 4th. Tom, there's some important legislation that's waiting for the uh, president's signature, the VA Mission Act, that's going to do some great things. That's not the end of the game, though, is it? There's a lot more that we have to do, and that's going to be the focus of this Storm the Hill event, isn't it? Yeah, there's so much more. Uh, you know, The Mission Act is a huge uh, piece of legislation that that consolidates and streamlines all the community care programs and, and makes ref- important reforms at the, at the Veterans Health Administration. Um, that's a big deal. It also uh, uh, take, takes an assessment of all of the VA facilities, make sure that we've got the right facilities in the right places to treat the, the veterans where they live now. Uh, it also e- expands the caregiver program to pre-9-11 veterans, which is so huge for us, uh, so that it's not just the post-9-11 that get the treatment that they so badly need. But you're going to have big issues with implementation of this law. It may require additional legislation. It'll certainly require rulemakings. Uh, and it's going to require the, the veteran service organizations to be working hand-in-hand with the VA and, uh, to make sure that this gets implemented appropriately. Uh, and we're going to be watching it real close. Is there ever going to be a point, you think, where we get, ah, we're done, we did everything we need to do, or is there always going to be more to do within the veteran community when it comes to legislation? Oh, there's, there's always something that's going to need to be done because veterans' needs evolve. Uh, as, as, as you know, post-9-11 veterans have, have, have different uh, challenges uh, because of the advances in, in body armor. Um, a, lot, a lot more of them are, have been coming home surviving, but, but they're, they're, they're missing limbs. Uh, the before uh, they they would have, have died of those injuries, and so that's just another example. Uh, also, post nine eleven veterans are are uh, m- more comfortable um, discussing uh, mental health injuries, uh, and so we've we've had to, to switch things up at the at the VA, especially with the Clay Hunt uh, Save Act that IAVA championed a, a few years ago. These are examples of things that are that are just different, and and tomorrow's military is going to be even more different. We're going to have to switch our care up and make improvements that we're not even imagining now. Tom, when it comes to politicians, they are often known for being able to smile in your face. And then the moment you turn around, they're going to do what they want to do and what they need to do and what their donors want them to do. Historically, the storm, the hill event, what has been uh, actionable things? Uh, have, Have you seen actionable response from the politicians that have spoken to the veterans that prove that they're not just giving them lip service when they meet them and saying, yeah, this is something that we'll talk about. And then they never really look at it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at the post 9-11 GI bill, where did that come from? IAVA had a hand in writing that legislation and leading the way to pass that into law back in 2008. 
Uh, we stormed the Hill for that. Uh, we told Congress why it's important to, to uh, educate our, our returning warriors. Uh, we made improvements to that, uh, and we stormed the Hill around that. We stormed the Hill for the Clay Hunt Save Act. Uh, before, the, before we did that, there wasn't that conversation going on Capitol Hill. People were uncomfortable talking about mental health injuries and suicide. We stormed the Hill um, and, and changed the way that, that Congress talks about these issues, and we ultimately passed that into law. We stormed the Hill over the VA accountability uh, legislation over and over and over, and they finally passed that into law last year. And, and we're storming the hill about the, our Deborah Sampson Act to help women veterans. Uh, as a result of that, we're seeing standalone pieces of legislation pop up all over the place that reflect our legislation and our desire to fill gaps in care for women vets. Uh, and we're storming the hill now about, about medical cannabis for veterans and burn pits. Uh, and we're going to keep moving. And, and it's just a perfect example to everybody that participates and everybody that's watching that we can be effective. We've always been effective. We're going to continue to be. There are always going to be those who will say, you know, oh, well, why aren't you talking about this one? Why aren't you focusing on this issue? Do you think it's important to have more of a, a narrower focus, to have a few main items instead of just throwing 50,000 things at the politicians at once to kind of prioritize those, uh, you know, like the, the big six that you guys have over there, I believe it is, that, that you guys are focused on? It doesn't mean you don't care about those other issues, though, does it? Right, right, right. You're exactly right. Uh we focus on our, our big six issues, including the, the three main ones that, that we've just been talking about. Um, but what people don't see is that we have a very deep and broad policy agenda where we take uh, positions on many, many issue areas. And routinely, members of Congress will ch check in with us to ask us if we can support a certain a legislation, and we do. Uh, we might not make major campaigns around each one of those, but, but we're able to weigh in and, and help veterans on a whole broad spectrum of, of ideas and, and policies and, and proposed legislation that way. What is the likelihood that we'll see movement on this burn pit legislation coming soon specifically? Now, this is the one IAB has been instrumental with it, as has Representative Mast and Representative Gabbard, two Army veterans, different sides of the aisle, wildly divergent political beliefs and ideologies coming together on this issue do we have any sort of an idea as far as a timeline that we can look at for when we might start seeing some movement on this? Sure. No, nothing's easy. Let me start out by saying, um, but, but this is something that I think a lot of folks from both sides of the aisle can get around uh, and support quickly. Um, it, it has little expense to it, which tends to, to block uh, easy passage of, of legislation. Uh, this simply uh, recognizes that um, not many people at all know about the burn pit registry at the VA so that they can't even get in. They don't even take the chance to take a few minutes and, and talk about where their exposures were and if they were exposed and their symptoms. So this gets at the heart of it at the DOD and, and doesn't let uh, uh, military uh, get away without uh, having the DOD account for those exposures. So before, uh, before they leave the military and at every periodic health assessment, they ask those questions and direct them to that registry. And it doesn't cost much money to do that, if any. And so this is something that's been popular uh, for so many uh, veterans, uh, tremendous interests, and also bipartisan interests on Capitol Hill. So we think it's got good chances of moving fast. As we finish up here with Tom Porter, Legislative Director of IAVA, the Storm the Hill event, is that something that people need to be invited to? Can they just show up to it? Where can they find out more about the uh, the Storm the Hill event and learn how they can take part? You go to our, our website at iava.org. Uh, 
Uh, you can get lots of information about that. Uh, you don't just show up, um, but there's ways for everybody to help. For those that aren't going to make it out to our, our Capitol Hill meetings, you can provide support by following us on social media, uh, giving us encouragement, uh, sharing uh, our, our accomplishments on Capitol Hill with your friends so they know about it as well. And a big thing is, is also you can go to our Take Action page. You easily find it by Googling IAVA Take Action. And it's an easy way. You just take about one minute or less and you can send letters to your whole congressional delegation on our top priorities to ask them to take action now on burn pits, on cannabis, on VA reform. It's all right there. Google IAVA Take Action and follow us on social media. And that concludes this day's morning briefing. We want to thank Tom Porter from IAVA and Jason Souza for the great work that they are doing in the name of and for veterans and for the world in general. Morning briefing daily show comes to an end. We'll see you tomorrow with more great veteran voices. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.